blessing that is. Thank you. Open your Bibles tonight to the book of Psalms, Psalms 1. This is not what I had uh, really intended to preach all week long up until yesterday and yesterday morning sitting in the office and knowing what I was going to preach this morning and just some way or another God just put a burden on my heart for one, one, just one particular truth. And we're going to read this entire first psalm, but but I'm going to throw you a curveball here in a little while because, uh, and you'll see what I mean. But uh, this is not going to be a study of the whole psalm, but, well, I'll kind of explain as I go. Let's read, first of all, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. As you can clearly see, this psalm pictures the two classes of Humanity, those that are saved and those that are lost. In the first three verses, he speaks here about the godly man or the godly person. And in the last three verses, he speaks about the godless man. And so the psalm then commences with a blessing and it concludes with a curse. But I want you to notice that this psalm... And uh, this book of Psalms, uh, how, how it all begins with the word blessed. Blessed, which means happy. Maybe I've had this on my mind in making the connection last week with the message where the Bible tells us that God puts gladness in, uh, in our hearts. And uh, this, this word here is speaking of that very thing. And so the entire book of Psalms opens up with that one word that has to do with being happy. And whenever you think back to the beginning of man, that's the way it was. Can you imagine what paradise must have been like, Adam and Eve? I mean, there's absolutely no sin, no sickness, no sorrow, none of the things that trouble us so much. Everything was in a state of perfection. I mean, you often say, you know, well, you know, nobody has a perfect spouse. Well, uh, Adam and Eve did in the beginning. And, of course, we know that all of that changed when sin entered into the world. And naturally, that ended man's happiness. The only way to recover what was lost is to return to God. 
And here in these first three verses, it tells us about the person who does that, the godly man. And we could say a lot about him, but let me, let me just give you a brief outline before I get to my main point this evening. Notice in verse number one, we see here the behavior of the blessed man. And there are three things about his behavior. He rejects the counsel of the ungodly. He refrains from the conduct of the ungodly. And he refuses to criticize as do the ungodly. We come to verse number 2, and he speaks here about the building of the blessed man. And we see that his delight is in the Word of God. His directions are from the Word of God. His devotion is to the Word of God. Now, naturally, I'm not taking time whenever I make those, those statements about that which characterizes him. I, you know, I'm not going back and reading that, but, but that's all there in verse number 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His directions are from the Word of God. His devotion is to the Word of God. There are three phrases there, each one, each one stating that fact. Now we come down to verse 3, and he speaks about the blessings of the blessed man. And again, there are three things mentioned. We see his stability. He is like a tree. We see his supply. The tree is by the rivers of water. Then we see his success. There is productivity. Notice he bringeth forth fruit. There is perpetuity. His leaf also shall not wither. That means regardless of the season of the life, of the difficulties you encounter, whatever the circumstances you are, that joy is something that is perpetual for the child of God. In other words, the child of God and the will of God can, can receive an unbroken blessedness as a result of his relationship with the Lord. And then notice there is prosperity. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, we're going to stop right there because as strange as it might seem, I mentioned all of that simply for the sake of wanting to make a point, not because I want to study this psalm, not because I want to study the first three verses of the psalm that has to do with the godly man. I just want to make a point. And I want to focus on one small part that's found in the last part of verse number 2. This is the text for the message. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Now remember, that is a part of the section that deals with the building, that is the development of the, of the blessed man. And notice his, he, that he, he meditates in his law day and night. Well, why would he do that? Well, notice in the first part it says here, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so because his delight is in the law of the Lord, he meditates in the Word of God, day and night. The psalmist in Psalms 119, the longest chapter in all of the Bible, says, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. 
Whenever I read that, I think about the Bereans there in Acts 17 and verse number 11 where it says they searched the Scriptures daily, daily, to see whether those things were so or not. And so, you know, I would like, I'd like to think that every member of the church takes time to read their Bible every day. I'd like to think that. Really, I don't believe that, but I would like to think that. Because that's the way it should be. But right now, the question is not, do you read your Bible every day? That is, do you take time to read your Bible every day? The question tonight is, do you take your time when you take time to read the Bible every day? Do you take your time when you take time to read the Bible? I mentioned that because soon after I was saved, I, I got started on a reading plan. I mean, well, it was way back then, and uh, we read through the Bible every year. In fact, did that for several years, and uh, finally somebody made up a you know a little track like looking thing to where you could check off every day and make sure you read your Bible, and so I thought, you know, uh, that that's for me, because, boy, listen, when I got saved, I just fell in love with the Word of God. You couldn't have kept me out of church. I remember going fishing on Saturday and Saturday night and uh, get back the next morning in time for church and been up all night long. I, uh, You know, I don't recommend people do that, but I'm just saying, I, I did not want to miss church for any reason. Uh, because the the Word of God was just a wonder to me, and I was like a sponge. I just couldn't get enough of it. And so I, I started this reading plan, and every day, religiously, boy, I, I was going to read through that section. Well, you probably already figured out what happened. In trying to make sure I got through that section and get around to do all the other stuff that I wanted to do, I just... I, I just went through it like a racehorse. I mean, just flew through it. Uh, I couldn't even pronounce some of the words, didn't know what other words meant or anything else, and just, I mean, as rapidly as I could, went through there and had had no clue what I'd just got through reading. Oh, once in a while, you know, part of it would stick. There would be some particular verse that would make an impression in my heart, and, you know, that linger with me afterwards, but as a general rule, Boy, especially over there in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all, you know, all of that. And you get over there in all of those genealogies and you think, oh my, what have I got myself into? I mean, this is just nerve-wracking. Nothing enjoyable about this whatsoever. And so I just raced through all of that. And it took me a while to understand that understanding what you read is more important than the amount that you read. And so that's why I say we need to slow down. Don't worry about reading seven or eight chapters a day. Slow down, because unless you assimilate what you read, you get no benefit from it whatsoever. All, all you Now, I hate to say you've wasted your time when you read the Bible, but there's a sense in which that is true. If you don't assimilate what is there... If you don't understand what is there, if all you did was just go through a certain section of the Bible and reading that, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't feel comfortable in saying there's no profit in that, but I'm saying there's not very much 
if you don't really understand what you're reading. So tonight, I just want in, to encourage you not only to take time to read the Bible, but to take your time when you do. Notice our text. In his law doth he meditate day and night. In other words, it's something that's always on his mind. It's kind of like, you know, the verse of Scripture says, pray without ceasing. Well, that doesn't mean that we've got to be on our knees 24 hours a day, does it? But I think that we ought to be in an attitude, a spirit of prayer all day long. I mean, you know, whether you're stuck out on the freeway or regardless of where you are, we ought to be in an attitude of prayer continually. And we need to be relating everything that's going on in life to the Word of God. Meditating on the Word of God day and night. Otherwise, if all we do is race through the Bible, it's like, you know, taking a big old bite of a, of a ribeye steak and, uh, you know, savoring that and it is so very good and then just spitting it out. <laughs> There's no benefit to that whatsoever, right? And, and so, <laughs> amen. Uh, I, I shouldn't have got off on ribeye steaks. For the first time in my life today, I, I, uh, I traded a ribeye for a burger. Because I, if you know me, you know I love burgers. I, I, I'm a, I, I just love burgers, good burgers. And I, I saw a picture and it just blew my mind. And I thought, well, no ribeye today. I, but I think I'll go back to my ribeye. But wouldn't wouldn't it be an awful thing to go in and, you know, some of you kiddos, maybe mom and dad say, hey, I'm going to take you out to eat today, your favorite place, wherever you want to go. And so you go in there and you sit down and they say there's only one condition. You, You can have anything you want that is on the menu, but all you can do is chew it up and then you have to spit it out. Well, that doesn't seem like a very good deal to me. Well, in his law doth he meditate. Now, that word meditate is, let me tell you, is despised by some preachers today. Uh, I mean, I say that based on the fact of their attitude toward what we call meditation. And whenever we think about the Eastern religions and this mystical meditation and what have you, and they, they, would, they would try to convince us that there is magical power in, in meditation. By the way, whether you're studying yoga or karate or anything, you better be careful in what you do or you'll find yourself wrapped up in some Eastern mystical religion without even knowing it. So I'll just throw that in there just by way of comment, but I'm telling you, you've got to be careful. We're not talking about that kind of meditation. We're talking about the kind of meditation that causes your mind to camp out on the Word of God, to just keep letting it roll over and over and over and over in your mind to really stop and to really think about what you've been reading. Let me tell you, if you'll do that, you will be amazed how much more you enjoy Enjoy your time in the Bible whenever you slow down. I've often said, and I believe the best way to learn the most about the Bible is to teach the Bible, to be a teacher. I'll never forget, shortly after I was saved, and, and I mean every single week, I think, 
for a long time after that, the invitation was given. Man, I was down there praying about something. I, I mean, it got to the point that I, you know, I think poor old Brother Hankins saw me coming. He thought, oh, Lord, what now? But he never did say that, and I, I, maybe I hope he didn't feel that way. But, and, but I can remember one day him asking me, uh, what are you coming for today? And I looked at him and I said, I don't really know. I just know that there's something that God wants me to do. And I don't know what it is, but I just know God's dealing with my heart about it. Well, during the course of the week, I was convinced that uh, God wanted me to to become a teacher. Uh, And so I went over to the parsonage one day and told him, I said, I'd like like the Sunday school class. I want to be a Sunday school teacher. And I told him, and of course he already knew this, I said, I don't know anything at all about the Bible. Nothing. All I know is what the gospel is, what I've heard from you, what, you know, what I've learned here in these few weeks that I've been coming, and that's all I know. I'd never been to Sunday school like most boys and girls. I'd never been raised in church. I'd never read my, the, a Bible in, in my lifetime, never. I didn't know whether Noah lived before or after Jesus. I had no idea. He said, well, how in the world are you going to teach a class if, 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 you, if you don't know what the, what the Bible teaches? And I said, well, I haven't figured that out yet, but I got an idea. You know, they, they had their Sunday school curriculum to where, you know, each week they had a certain amount of material to cover for that particular lesson. And I said, I'll tell you what, if I come over to your house one day during the week and we'll sit down together, I must have been a real pest to my pastor. I don't know how he put up with me. And, uh, but I, I'll come over to your house and we'll sit down and you teach me what that lesson is about. And uh, and then I'll teach the class. That's the only way I know, only way I knew to get a class. Now I don't I don't recommend that preachers do this, and I don't know why he did that. But he said, "All right, I'm going to give you a class, class of junior boys. I'm going to give you a class, and we're going to do that." And that was the way I got started. Boy, you talk about somebody praying that those kids don't ask any questions because all I knew was what was right there. That, that's all I knew. And I was just hoping, praying, oh, dear Lord, don't ask any questions because I don't know. I may be the teacher, but I don't know. I, I'm sure some of those kids could have taught me something. But I learned an important lesson in that experience, and that is you'll never learn more about the Bible than you do whenever you are studying and preparing yourself to teach the Bible to somebody else. Because you've got to dig in and apply yourself. You've got to uh, look at the context. You've got to not only consider the context, but you've got to consider what the Bible says in other places. You've got to look at the particular words and check the references and do all of those things in order to get a good understanding of whatever verse of the Bible it might be. If you don't do that, you're not going to be prepared to teach. So that's all a part of the process of getting yourself ready. Now, Here's the thought that 
come to me yesterday morning, the thing that stuck in my mind, wouldn't it be good, wouldn't it be good if every Christian thought of themselves as teachers? If every one of us thought of ourselves as a teacher? Because I know, you know, you talk about Bible study and the need to meditate in the law of the Lord day and night, and we talk about that, and I know that people say, yeah, but, you know, I don't have a Sunday school class. Well, that's okay. We don't have enough room for everybody to have a Sunday school class. We don't have enough people for everybody to have a Sunday school class. That's all right. But the point of it is that all of us, every single Christian, ought to be maturing spiritually to the point that we are able to communicate the gospel to others and to be able to teach others also. That ought to be true of all of us. I'll never forget several years ago, a, a woman, a member of our church, calling me, and and uh, uh, I can't remember exactly what her age was, and but she had a, a daughter that was, uh, oh, I'm going to say around 20 years old, and she called one day and said, Brother Stone, would you come over to the house and talk to talk to our daughter? She wants to be saved. And uh, I said, well, why don't you tell her how to be saved? She said, well, I'm not sure I know how to how to tell her. And I thought to myself, how in the world can anybody claim to be a Christian and not know how to communicate the gospel to somebody else. Now, I realize that some people do that better than other people. I understand that because there's some people, you know, that they, they're not familiar with all of the, all of the verbiage and what have you they picked up in church over the years and have no idea what the word redemption might mean or the word justification and all of that. But look, you don't need to understand all of those things in order to bring someone to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you ought to be prepared to do that, ready to do it. And as a, as a believer, we ought to be growing spiritually so that we can. The problem is that far too often we're like those that are mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. And here's what it says. For when, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, now remember, he's writing to a church here. If you don't believe that, just read the entire book of Hebrews and it becomes very clear. He's writing to a church because in chapter 13 he tells them how they ought to take care of their pastor and things of that nature. So he's speaking to a, to a congregation of believers. For when for the time, notice he says that ye ought to be teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And it was that same kind of, of spiritual immaturity that caused the Apostle Paul to say this to the Corinthians. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now notice he says that you are in Christ. That is, they, they've absolutely been saved. They're God's children. They're, they're Christians. There's no doubt about that. They're babes in Christ. But he says, you're babes. 
in Christ. That is, there's been no spiritual development. Well, then should it surprise us that that church was the church that had so many problems? While you read about, you know, the church at Corinth, I, over the years I've seen several different churches called, you know, the Corinth Baptist Church, for example. Uh, there are several of those. Why in the world anybody would want to call, uh, you know, the, the name of the church Corinth Baptist Church? I don't know. That, that was the most carnal church of all of those in that day. They had all kinds of problems and divisions and so forth in the church. Why? Why did all of those exist? It was because of spiritual immaturity. And so Paul says, I've got to deal with you not as somebody that has grown and developed, that is spiritually mature, that can take the strong meat of the Word. He says, I've got to deal with you like your little babies and give you the milk of the Word. Now, I think all of us would agree those little, those little kiddos in the nursery are, they're so precious. You know, and boy, if you really want to get next to somebody's heart, you know, just make a commercial with, with some little kids in it, you know. That'll get your attention when nothing else will. There's something about little children that's just so special. But I want to tell you what, you get a bunch of little kids together and it won't be long before you've got friction. They'll be fighting over toys. They'll be pulling hair, punching eyes, and so forth. I mean, there's going to be a fight. The kids are going to be kids. And because of their spiritual immaturity, they're going to do stuff like that. And let me tell you, whenever we fail to mature spiritually, when that happens, when our spiritual development is stunted, then there are going to be problems in the church. There are going to be problems in the home and there are going to be problems in our personal lives. I said this morning the disciples are learners. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying. Disciples are learners, and their learning is not just for the living. Now it's for that, but it's not just for that. In other words, the reason I study my Bible is not just so I'll know how to live, There's something else involved in this. As a disciple, we are to learn, we're to grow, we're to develop in order that we might what? That we might go and teach, according to Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 19. Go into all the world and what? And teach, make nation, disciple people. That's the whole idea. That's the whole point. And so if we're... If we're going to do what the Lord commanded, then we're all to be teachers of one sort or another. You ought to think of yourself as a teacher. The Bible is your textbook and the world is your classroom. You don't have to have a class here in order to be a teacher. All you've got to do is to acquaint yourself with God's Word, become familiar with it, study God's Word in order that you might be able to even effectively reach your next-door neighbor or help your co-worker or whatever it is, but that you might be able to minister to them. And so whenever, remember, he's talking about the development, the building of the blessed man. And he says that he becomes what he is by what? In his law doth he meditate day and night. Slow down. 
we need to pray for God to enlighten our mind whenever we study the Bible. Pray that God will enlighten our mind because the Holy Spirit of God is able to illuminate our minds and help us to understand. We need not only to pray, but to ponder deeply what it is that we read. We need to preserve the Word by memorizing some of the key verses, that is, committing it to memory. By the way, I don't even care if you know the chapter and verse. You know, that's well and good. Believe me, whenever you get older, you'll start forgetting a bunch of those. You know, you'll, you'll forget exactly where it is. But the main point is that you commit to memory some of those, some of those truths. I wish I had time to really talk more about the importance of that. And you know, when you think about Jesus whenever he was tempted to the devil and how that he quoted, he quoted the Word of God to avoid each one of those temptations. By the way, he did not just quote any part of the Bible. So many people think of the Bible as some kind of a magical book and all you've got to do if the devil tempts you just quote some verse of the Bible. Nonsense. You've got to quote a particular verse and have something in mind that will be your defense in a time of need. Something that relates to what your situation is. So we need to really try our best to preserve what it is that we're reading and we need to practice it every day. And I, I'm not going to keep you long, but I just, I just want to say I wish I could convince every person as to the truth of God's Word and as to what a treasure it really is. I mean, I don't, I don't have words to describe to you the worth of the Bible. It is of infinite worth a far greater value than I'm able to describe. And, and I don't think people will ever really see the worth of the Bible, and they're certainly not going to take time and spend time in the Bible unless they realize the benefit of it. So when we begin to realize the benefit of meditating in God's Word day and night, I think then and only then will we really start putting that into practice. So let me give you just just a few things that the Scriptures will do whenever you spend quality time studying the Bible. Number one, they convert. Flip over a few pages to Psalms 119, or Psalms 19. Psalms 19. Look at verse number 7. This, the law of the Lord is perfect. You believe that, don't you? Now notice, converting the soul. Now, boy, there's a whole lot more down through there, but I just want you to notice that one statement there, converting the soul. What does it mean to convert something? It means to change it, right? You convert something. You change something. In fact, you know, there, there was a time when we talked about salvation as conversion, and it really is. And somebody would say, oh, so-and-so went to a revival meeting the other night, and they, they got converted. It sounds kind of strange today, but believe me, 50 years ago, that was, that was, that was everyday church lingo. Everybody knew exactly what you mean. Oh, I hear you got converted the other day. 
And I'm afraid we live in a day and a time where we forget about the fact that salvation really does change a person. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. The Word of God has the power to convert, that is to save the sinner, but it not only converts the sinner, it changes the saints. You can't study the Word of God without it changing your life in some way. For the sinner, it brings salvation, but but for the saint, it brings sanctification. It converts. It also convicts. You don't need to turn there, but 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16 talks about the convicting power of the Word of God. By the way, we all need that. Why do we need that? Because we're all imperfect. You know that sometimes we get to thinking we're doing rather well, we've really got it all together. You know, maybe maybe we just recently won some victory in our life. We conquered some habit or we defeated some foe and we won that victory. We held our temper and... How many of us have said before, you know, over and over again, we, we made a statement like, I'll tell you what, I've learned my lesson. I'm just going to be patient in traffic from now on. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I said something like that here a while back. I've got this bad habit of, you know, throwing my hands up. You know, the car in front of me, like, come on, go, you know. And, and really, I, I, it makes Bea, bless her heart, so nervous. It's, it's hard for her to ride with me, but... I'm, I'm doing better than I used to at least sometimes. Now, you see, a lot of times in our lives, we get to thinking we're doing real good. And I'll tell you what, you start spending some time in the Word of God and you're reading that and you're meditating on it and you're thinking about it and the Holy Spirit just plunges the sword of the Word deep in your heart and it begins to cut and it begins to convict and begin to make you realize, hey, buddy, you're not nearly as good and spiritual and humble as you think you are. And you see, folks, we all need that and we all need it all of the time because we're imperfect. So it converts and it convicts and it cleanses. Jesus referred to that in John chapter number 17, the cleansing power of the Word. And we all need that. Why? Well, because we fail, don't we? Regardless of how hard we try, there are times that we fail. And just getting in the Word of God has a way of cleansing our lives. Not only that, but here's another benefit, and that is the fact that it brings comfort. In his law, notice he meditates day and night. But why would you do that? Well, for one thing, it has a way of bringing comfort to our heart. I do want you to turn this time over to Romans chapter number 15, because there's a verse here that I discovered many, many long years ago that just really got a hold of my heart and become so very meaningful in my life. Verse number 4. You've probably heard people talk about, you know, well, the Old Testament, that's not for today. That's, you know, we don't need that now. Well, listen to this. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, 
were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Has there ever been a time in your life where you lost hope? A time in your life where you were ready to just throw in the towel? You're ready to give up. You've lost hope. You're in a situation that you feel is never going to change and you, you've reached the point of despair in your life. And you're troubled. And then you get into the Word of God and all of a sudden, God begins to speak to you through His Word and all of a sudden it's like a little light comes on. What things were written aforetime? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, I'm reading way back over here. I'm thinking about the story of Daniel or whoever. Way back in the Old Testament, I'm thinking about Joseph and how sorely, uh, you know, he was mistreated by his own brothers and sold into slavery. And I get to thinking about him and I see how God was with him. And if God was with him and God's no respecter of person, and if all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, then how about me? Why wouldn't it work for me? But you see, if I'm not spending any time in the Scriptures, I'm not going, I'm not going to get the comfort I need from the Scriptures. Now this list could go on and on. We could talk about the fact that another benefit is that the Bible gives us counsel. God counsels us through the Word of God. And God corrects us by His Word. And we could just go on and on making a long study about this, but I, look, I, I don't want you to lose sight of what this message is all about tonight, and that is when you take time to study your Bible, take your time. And I, I, and I hope that just that one thought has maybe challenged you tonight. And I want to, I want to challenge you. I want to, I want you to commit yourself to accepting the challenge of, of being a student of God's Word. I'm talking about a student of the Bible every day. And, and I'm not talking about going off to Bible college. Remember several years ago whenever Jennifer went off to Bible college and there have been others that have done that, you know, and that's a wonderful thing. You go off to Bible college and you're able to focus nearly all of your time and attention on the Word of God. And, that you know, that's great. I'm, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not even asking you to take a correspondence course of some kind. I'm just, I'm trying to challenge you to see the value of, of getting in the Word of God, staying in the Word of God. And I'm talking about seriously studying the Word of God. Just pretend that you're a teacher. You're going to teach a lesson next week. And you've got to get yourself ready for it. And boy, whenever you think about that, you say, well, what am I going to teach? Well, uh, pray about it. Consider your needs or consider your circumstances. When we think about all of the, the possibilities, I'm telling you, they are vast, the different things that we can study. Do a chronological study of the Bible, for example. Where you got a timeline, you're putting it all together. Now you know that Moses lived before Jesus. There was a time in my life I had to do that. I, the only way I could learn. I, I didn't know. I didn't know whether Daniel was in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I, I didn't know. 
And maybe there needs to be somebody, you know, that starts there doing a chronological study of the Bible so that you can get all of that uh, straight in your mind. It might be that, uh, that the Lord lays it on your heart to study a book of the Bible. I know one of Bev's favorite books is the book of James. Boy, that'd be a great place. You talk about a practical book. That's one of the most practical books in the Bible. Do a study of the book of James. And when you start, don't stop till you get through. Have a plan. Study the book of James. Now maybe you want to study a chapter, let's say. How about Philippians chapter number 4? Boy, that'd be a great place. I mean, just study every word, every verse of that. Or maybe you want to narrow your study down to a particular section of a chapter. Three or four, seven, eight verses, I don't know. Believe me, you can spend hour after hour after hour just on that section. It might be just a verse in the Bible. I could preach for the next ten weeks on John 3.16 and not preach the same message twice. And Kenneth could too. And by the way, I'm just trying to get you to see there's that much stuff in there. There really is. So study a verse of the Bible, some verse that really means a lot to you. Just, I mean, dig into it and study, study the words that are in that verse. Or, or let's say study a particular word. Let's say the word grace or the word mercy. The word redeemed, your pick. Study that word. Find out everything you can about it. Run all of the references related to it. Make a, a biographical study, and that is study with the characters of the Bible. Abraham, how about that? Joseph or whoever it is. Just pick out one of those and say, I'm going I'm to study everything I can find about his life. You need that because not only will it equip you to be able to minister to others, but you need that because, remember, this is the building of who? The blessed man, the happy man, the happy person, the person that that is able to get through the rough stuff of life, the person that is able to prosper regardless of the season, regardless of the difficulty. He's like a tree planted by the river of water and his leaf doesn't wither and whatever he does, it'll prosper. How did he get like that? How did he become that kind of a person? He meditated in the law day and night. I mean, your survival... Your survival depends upon the time that you spend in the Word of God. And just just reading through it as fast as you can is not going to cut it. You need to dig in and study it. Now, maybe you're maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, you know, I, I, I don't have time. You've got as much time as anybody else. We've all got exactly the same amount of time. Now, I know that some of you have responsibilities that are different than my responsibilities. And I understand that you cannot devote the same amount of time to Bible study that Brother Kenneth can, for example. I realize that. 
But we can all set aside a certain amount of time every day where we're not just reading our Bible, but we're trying to assimilate it, get something out of it. Why? So we, so we can become effective teachers and so we can survive and be like that blessed man that is, that prospers in everything in life. We are so very fortunate to live in a time where we have so many reliable resources at our fingertips. Avail yourself of those resources. When you study your Bible, one of the, one of the best help books you can get is an English dictionary. Find out what the word means. I've got an unabridged copy of the English dictionary. Now, I, I, I confess I don't use it, but I got it. It's pretty impressive. That thing is about that thick, I'm telling you. It's unabridged. That is everywhere. All of the old words, you know, that, that we don't use any longer, they're all still there in that big old dictionary. You, look, I've got boxes and boxes and boxes of books, and you don't even need all of that. Just get online. It's, you've got the world at your fingertips. Go to a dictionary. Look at the meaning of the words. Not only a regular English dictionary, but a Bible dictionary. And then there are the commentaries. Now, listen. We shouldn't ever become dependent upon commentaries, but we should not be so foolish as to act like we can't learn anything from them. I can think about a lot of, you know, the great famous preachers of years gone by. And we often think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could just sit at his feet? Oh, if I could just listen to that man preach, that'd be so wonderful. You can still hear his voice through the ministry of the written word. It, the information is still there. That brilliant mind of that preacher that gives certain insight into the Word of God, you, you can avail yourself of all of that information. I'm just, I'm just telling you, make use of everything that you can, whether it's sermon notes. I often talk about how things have changed over the years. And, and, and I've often said one of, the, one of the ways you can tell whether a person is studying their Bible or not is that if they never have any questions, you can just mark it down, they're not studying very much. Because anybody spend a lot of time studying is going to be asking some questions. But the other thing is, I remember back whenever I got saved, and Bev can correct me if I'm wrong in this, uh, <laughs> She might be reluctant to do so, but she could. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'd say maybe 50% of the church back then, everybody was taking notes. I'd, I'd say at least that. It was so very common. People had their Bible, and and uh, you'll notice Bev's got a, she's got another uh, pad of paper there so she can write stuff down. You can't remember it all. One of the best helps you can get is to take notes whenever your Sunday school teacher. Uh, I mean, these, these people, in the first place, I've spent a lot of time putting those lessons together. In the second place, those teachers spend a lot of time in studying those notes and studying the Bible. And, and so many times people sit there like a knot on a log, like I got it. <laughs> got it. 
Yeah, yeah, really. For your own benefit, get you a notebook and just take notes of the sermons or the, or the Sunday school lessons or whatever it is. Take notes. That way you can later on during the week, you can sit down and you can really think about uh, some of those, some of those truths. Uh, when I started tonight, I didn't really know for sure exactly where I was going with all of this. I just, I just had a gut feeling that I think God put on my heart. And I think it's obvious. I think we're rushing through this world too fast, not doing the one thing above everything that is necessary for us being like this blessed man that's able to survive under any circumstances like that tree planted by the river of water. His leaf doesn't wither. There's going to be fruit regardless of what's going on. He's got that stability. He's anchored right there. And and all of that is the result of one thing, and that is that he meditates in the Word of God day and night. And it'll do exactly the same thing for me, and it'll do that for you. So my challenge tonight is, before you leave here, is to make a promise to God, Lord, starting right now. I'm not sure what book of the Bible I'm going to study or what chapter or or what character. I'm not sure how I'm going to go about this. But starting right now, I am going to apply myself to actually being a student of the Bible. I'm going to study. Now, you don't have to make any promise to me, but I hope you'll make that commitment to God tonight. Let's all stand together. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Heavenly Father, for all of the many benefits, some of which we've talked about here tonight. But most of all, Lord, those benefits that we've experienced for ourselves over the years and knowing what the Word of God can do. And knowing of those times whenever facing what seemed to be hopeless situations and given to despair and it just seemed like the whole world was wrong, that all of a sudden a certain portion of Your Word would just bring not only light to my mind but joy to my heart. And I just pray tonight that each and every one of us might might really get it, that our survival, our ability to be used in Your work depends upon us spending quality time in Your Word, not just, not just a few days out of the year, but every single day of the year. Help me to recommit myself to the study of Your Word like like I need to do. And, and for each and every one of us here tonight, that we will indeed be students of Your Word and search them daily as the Bereans did. For we ask it in 